You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to the Cotton Club crew. This is episode six of our main show. It's actually been a while since we've done the main show with more than two or a solo person. Um, that's how schedules work sometimes. But we're back, and I'm here with Jack and Joe. Reed is planning to hopefully join us later. He has a work issue that's come up. If not, you know, we'll catch him next time. Um, as always, we're going to talk a lot of tech sports. We're going to start with the basketball front. The Elijah Fisher podcast appearance kind of ruffled some feathers and revealed a little bit more about the state of the program. We're also going to talk about some of the recruiting news on that front. But more specifically, just where is the program at this date, April 26th at 8.05 p.m. Central Time as of our recording? Where does it stand and how should we feel about it? We're going to have a pretty detailed discussion about that. Then we're going to transition to the baseball front. Baseball's last game, they were trailing 6 to nothing against Abilene Christian. That was played in Abilene. A storm interrupted the game. It has not been announced yet what they're planning to do about that game. Smart Money says it'll be canceled. But before that, Tech took the series against Baylor on that weekend. Um, and looking ahead, they have Kansas State on the horizon as the Big 12 battle kind of reaches its, its conclusion. Uh, and then, if depending on how much time is left, we're going to talk a bit about the spring game and kind of sum up, is the quarterback situation really final, and where is that program, which is looking like it's taking a step forward? What should we actually kind of expect for the next season? But first, before any of that, let's talk about golf for a second. It's not, a, it's not something we talk about that often. It's not something most people talk about that often. It's collegiate golf. You know, It's only even broadcasted around this time of year with certain events on postseason play being on ESPN Plus or maybe the Golf Network, depending on the actual event. Texas Tech would finish second in the Big 12 Championship. Oklahoma dominated this event, winning by 18 strokes. Ludwig Adberg had, though, is your back-to-back Big 12 champion. He has what is not, arguably, is the most dominant performance in the Big 12 history with a 15, a minus 15 for the tournament. It's the first back-to-back Big 12 champion. And really, it, it's no shock that the world's top amateur golfer at the collegiate level flexed a bit during this tournament. And that's not me just making that up. He is actually ranked number one at this level. And if you want to see something really cool, look at some of the PGA stuff he's done. Um, There's been a lot of interviews with him. He participates in the PGA Collegiate Tour. So there's been a lot of conversations with 
actual golf analysts, you know, that he's done as part of that experience. And it's it's really interesting to, to see his approach to the game, why he chose tech, how he fits in there. It, it, it's, he's a special kid and one of the greatest golfers of all time at the collegiate level. Just the accolades continue to pile up. So congratulations to him and the team as they head towards the postseason where a top five tech team is as good a bet as anybody of winning the national title. So hopefully they can improve upon last year's strong postseason performance and go further and perhaps win the whole thing. Now, let's get right into basketball. So I mentioned the Elijah Fisher podcast. He appeared on a podcast where he was interviewed and just kind of asked a lot of questions about his experiences in Lubbock, Texas Tech, being a recruit, playing in the Big 12, transfer portal, the sum total, basically, of his college experience. It was enlightening, to say the least. So full disclosure, or not full disclosure, warning for what comes next, I guess is a better way to phrase this. Some of the opinions expressed here you all will not agree with. It's just going to happen. This is a pretty divisive topic. Um, What he should have said, what he did say, what's appropriate for him to be talking about, who's to blame, all those questions. You know, I saw the takeaways on the internet were largely laughing about some of the, the salmon and steak comment and blah, blah, blah. Whatever you think, I think what we can all agree as a starting point is that something was wrong in the basketball program, and we can go from there. So I'm going to go to the guys with some of their thoughts here in a minute, but I want to pose a couple of questions. And I'm not going to provide too much additional context or answer these questions because I want you, the listeners, to think about them. Because if I answer them for you, it's too much like I'm trying to steer the conversation we're about to launch. But I want you all, the listener, to decide for yourself. I'm I'm just going to pose the question. The first question is, who knew what when? I I think the context of that speaks for itself, but to clarify, in case you guys don't remember, it got really quiet during the basketball season when Tech had that three-game winning streak and, employee, and appeared poised to backdoor their way into the NCAA tournament. So who, who knew what when? When did the problems first come to the attention of the, the administration? Was it really at the end of the year that somebody said, I had a water bottle thrown at me? Was it earlier? Did, did the boosters know? Did, did local journalists know? Who knew what when? And decide for yourself what that means. The next question I want to ask is simply, what is going on with the basketball program that has allowed it to get this bad? What Something is broken in the culture. I think we all agree that. But what is it? Is it the influx of money? Is it, is, was it truly all one staff? Do the boosters have too much influence? What happened? Really think about what happened with Mark Adams, that he went from hero to zero in a year. And the last comment I'd like to make is a little harder to make without letting my own opinion color the question, but how is it that we seem to never hear these things from the guys who should know what's happening? Why doesn't the Lubbock Avalanche Journal ever seem to know? Why, why do message boards seem, seem to get wind of these things and nobody knows if it's crazy ramblings or what? Why do our national papers breaking stories about the Texas Tech Athletic Department and nobody local is asking these questions? So that's, that's all I'm going to say about that. I, I want those questions to frame the discussion because I think there's something seriously wrong in the athletic department overall, at least on the basketball side. And I think personally, to allow my opinion to flex a little bit into the discussion, I think something's seriously wrong with the culture that's there. 
Um, you know, and it takes a certain kind of coach to overcome that, which is why guys like Joey McGuire and Tadlock are really strong culture coaches. We don't seem to see any of this, but it's crept into the basketball program. It's all over the women's department for the last year and a half. I, I Something's going on. But we're going to focus on this through the lens of the basketball program. So now I'm going to open it up and go to Jack first. Jack, I don't know if you listened to the podcast or just saw some of the commentary on it. What was your reaction to some of the things you saw that Elijah Fisher said or listened to your to, to you to yourself that you uh, you know really what stuck out what stuck out to you what did you think what what was the first thoughts that kind of came to your mind? So full disclosure, I have yet to watch it. Um, but I have seen clips from it, and I've gotten the overall gist, and I've talked to people that have watched the entirety of the podcast. And the thing that stuck out to me the most is this is kind, it was kind of like a groundbreaking pod, like you could kind of argue, because in the past, it's it's kind of been like a hush-hush topic, right? You know, you you, you go play college sports somewhere for a program and you transfer and when you transfer you kind of just shut up about the culture what happened at your previous school and you it's just something you didn't talk about it it was it was kind of like on a need-to-know basis you were encouraged to kind of you know less is more when it comes to comments on the situation and you just kind of moved on with your career i think this pod and or I guess the interview I should say and Elijah Fisher pretty much confirmed everything that we were kind of suspecting was happening right like we had that break on on the uh, message boards honestly shit when was it I mean it was after the Maui Invitational uh, it was in the middle of our of that first uh, skid in the big 12, you know, it was right around, um, it was right around the time. I believe that we lost, um, by about 34 at Iowa state. So I guess around like the beginning to middle of January, um, all that, all that stuff started coming out about, you know, the culture, um, you know, about what was going on in Maui was Mark Adams at practices. He, Turns out he might not have been at practices while they were in Maui. He treated it as a second honeymoon um, with his new uh, spouse, which, you know, do we know if it's his, you know, uh, I'm not even going to get into all that because the fact of it, it just, it's a mind-blowing thing and um, I'm not even going to touch on the personal aspect of it, but um from the coaching aspect of it, I think that everything that I saw and the stuff that I have, um, you know, when I have asked other people about it, um, it just kind of throws a magnifying glass on the on the failures. And let's not be let's not beat around the bush. The absolute and utter failures of the coaches of this program. Um. I understand that Elijah Fisher, uh, you know, he in the in in his interview, you know, he said that there were coaches that were advocating for p- more playing time for him, um, and that's good because they were doing their job. Um, he deserved more playing time, um, and 
one of the things that I I personally have been critical of of the Texas Tech basketball program for quite some time, and by that I mean even since Chris Beard got hired, was the fact that they don't really let the bench players play with freedom, even when they're up by 30 with you know a minute left. If these guys are out on the floor and they make a mistake, they're getting yanked from the game for the starters. And I, I, I know that he made a point to address that in that interview. And, um, you know, he said, you know, the coaches were advocating for my playing time and they were told to shut up about it. At what point are you a coach and you don't, you know, if someone tells you to shut up about it, be like, no, I'm not going to shut up about it. This is what's best for the program, and you're not seeing it. That's what you're employed to do. And I think that a lot of what you're seeing around the scope of not just Texas Tech basketball, um, but Texas basketball, when Chris Beard, for the year and some odd days that he was the coach at Texas, you know, um, it didn't take a whole lot for Jerome Tang to get Malagi away from Texas. Um, he pretty much talked to him for a couple days and Ulrich said, yeah, I'm down. Let's do it. Um, but there were, there are definitely a lot more questions and there were a lot of questions answered, but at the same time, um, at the same time, I think that this needed to be done. This interview, I think it was good because it was kind of a reality check for all the tech fans that chime in across whatever social media platform you want to talk about, whether it be Facebook, where all the where all the older tech fans are. If you're on Twitter, where all the the uh, you know the never hater tech fans are on Twitter, the ones that can't stand to be uh, you know truthful about tech athletics. Uh, those people on Twitter, um, you know, all of these people, regardless, I guess the always doomers on Facebook is what I was trying to come up with, but. These people needed to get a hard dose of reality, and I think for a lot of people that's what this was. And yeah, you know what? You can make a comment on the steak and salmon thing all you want, um, but in reality, you have to look at this from a, the standpoint of the fact that this is a 17-year-old kid who left a major metropolis in a different country Um you know, came to the United States, came to Lubbock, Texas. Uh, and, you know, we've spent time there, pretty much all of us have, and uh, most of those listening to this have spent a, at least four years in Lubbock. Um, so you know what it's like there. And it's not Toronto, Canada. And so you have to almost appreciate, you, you do have to appreciate what this, what this kid did, but at the same time, um, at some point you kind of have to ask yourself or ask him maybe, you know, what exactly were you expecting? How did you not understand what you were agreeing to, uh, coming out of the recruiting process? 
and you know you might have been told x amount of things and you might have been told all this other stuff about your playing time and how important you were to the program and you can be told all that but you can't really be lied to about what the city of lubbock is and what um texas tech university is as a whole i mean you can spend about a day on campus you can get a pretty good idea of of how the town is and and what the university is like and so um you i i think that's that was those were my main takeaways um it it, it was it was a little bit of both sides of the of the uh aisle for me it was kind of the like Man, I don't know if you're really supposed to be talking about that. I'm also glad you talked about it because it kind of confirmed everything we thought was happening. But at the same time, it was kind of like, were you that naive? But then also you have to remember it's a 17-year-old kid. So this whole thing kind of really, it kind of scrambled my emotions when it comes to it. It, it makes me, it makes me very, um, it almost makes me hate Texas Tech basketball at, at for a certain point. It almost makes me hate the fact that we trusted Mark Adams as much as we did because this this interview kind of made him out to be a really terrible person. Um, but also part of it makes you want to ask, you know, what exactly did you expect? Um, what were you told? Did you do anything? Did you truly do anything to, you know, hinder your playing time? You know, you can always take it from one side. You can listen to him talk about it as much as you want, but at the same time, that's a one-sided view. You don't get both sides. So, um, I think it answered a lot of questions, but at the same time, it almost left us with more questions than answers. But it kind of scrambled my emotions when it comes to uh, my thoughts on the program as of right now when it comes to this current situation. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Look, there's a way to handle these situations um, from a player's perspective that's kind of been the norm. And it's changed dramatically, you know, even over the last couple of years. I think players feel more empowered to say what they feel about their coaches and coaching decisions and things that are happening. For instance, a really good example of this, Texas Tech has a assistant head to West Virginia um, on the women's basketball side, and Briamber Scott just lights the guy up on Twitter, right? Like, and I, it it's not even... Most of this stuff happens as subtweets. I, this, this was fucking direct. I mean, like, they, she just lit him up. Granted, she graduated, so there's literally no ability for anyone to retaliate, but th- that's something that would not have happened even three, four years ago. So players 
being more open and honest about what's going on with their experiences is becoming more common. So it's not shocking to me that Elijah Fisher did this in the first place. And anybody who's like, oh, he shouldn't have said anything at all. Like, it, this is the world we're in now. Get the fuck over it. You know, like, it's 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 where athletes are going. They These guys make the money. They're going to start talking about it. You know, that it's getting they're They're no longer going to be quiet about their experiences. So buckle up to a degree. Um, based on what I heard out of the interview and some of the reaction from people around the program, I think a lot of what he said is almost certainly just true. You know, even Marco Santos Silva actually commented on the YouTube thread saying he, for one, believed it, right? Like that he loved the assistant coaches, but that he had meetings with Mark Adams where promises were made that were not kept. Now, granted, I don't know what those promises were, and I don't believe he said anywhere what those promises were. Um, But that would suggest that even the guys who really were on the Mark Adams train believe he was capable of doing terrible things. Uh, and acting inappropriately and, and misleading players. You bring up a good point, though, right? Like, how, how much of this is on the player for not knowing things? It is a 17-year-old kid who is naive and will believe things he's told by the authority figures. I, I want to be clear here that if he was promised certain things and that those weren't delivered, that's on the staff. Because the kid has no reason to believe that you're going to lie to him. Right? Like, that's recruiting. It's a relationship game. You develop that trust... And you, you trust that the staff is going to deliver what you're promised. Now, obviously, there's some of this like little wink-wink, nudge-nudge. If you're being promised playing time, it may or may not materialize. But there are promises, and I'm sure he was made, that were not kept. I also believe some of the behaviors that were described are just grossly inappropriate, right? Like, it, it, it's absurd, some of the abuses that were alleged to be happening. And some of the behaviors around the program and... and those things are not on the player at, in any way. And it's, I mean, the only thing I think is, I think you have a point here, which is that, like, he, he had to have visited Lubbock, right? Like, it's not like the city was a secret. But the flip side of this is recruiting trips are not exactly, you know, a, your, your open book view of everything Lubbock. They are a, a choreographed, highly choreographed show to try to get you to commit. And that you're not getting an authentic look at the city. Um, you know, his comment about the food, I think, boiled down to he just wasn't happy with the nutrition diet he was on. Which, you know, it probably is common for high-level athletes to not necessarily be thrilled about their diets. So, you know, like, some of it was just his honest take on the college experience. Playing in the Big 12, blah, blah, blah. I just get the sense that, like, something was seriously wrong. Um, and I think all of the adults in the room failed. Because here's the thing, right? Like, you make the point about when did the staff, or why didn't the staff do more to rein in Coach Adams? I got questions about why the AD didn't. I've got questions about why the administration's not reining in a coach that they think that's... I mean, guys, these boosters that are posting this crap on message boards aren't not telling Kirby that this is happening. Like, not to answer my own question, but fat chance these rumors weren't in Kirby's lap the second they came up. 
right? Like, did the people who believe that think Joe Paterno didn't know what Sandusky was up to, right? Like, they think Art Bryles didn't know what was going on at Baylor. These guys are kings of fiefdoms. They know everything, especially when big money boosters are telling the public, hey, this is a foobar situation. We, we, this is bad. It's awful, blah, blah, blah. Like, you think they're not picking up the phone and telling the guy that they're writing these checks to? Like, hey, man, what the fuck are you doing? Like, we need you to intervene here. So I am disappointed with the entire Texas Tech administration. I'm disappointed with the coaching staff. I'm di- I'm extremely disheartened and disappointed in Mark Adams. Um, and I, I think one thing I want to point out is, like, Grant McCaslin doesn't have a coaching staff right now. And honestly, there may be a little bit of a reason why he's having a hard time getting guys to Lubbock. You know, this program is in a much worse position than we all knew. And I wonder if that that is interfering some with his ability to make the proper hires is that this is toxic. We talked to Tobias Bass. He said pretty clearly, this shit should not have been in public. It's bad that the program's leaking so problematically. Right? Like it, it should not, this information, these fights, these battles shouldn't be happening in public. It is a sign of a broken culture. And that's not good. It, it just isn't, and you have to recover that. You know, I, I have noted as been having serious questions about Kirby Hokut's leadership. I'm concerned that he has got his eye on the money, and he's ignoring a lot of the other responsibilities AD. Not everybody shares that opinion, and that's, that's perfectly fair. Every, everybody views that differently. That's how I feel about it. But I, I'm disheartened that the adults in the room didn't do more to protect our players. I mean, you got... Uh, Brenly Herrera, Jalen Tyson's girlfriend, also a Texas Tech scholarship athlete. I believe dancers are scholarship. Um, but she's, some are, you know, yes, some are, yes. Uh, she's not so subtly hinting on Twitter that like it's really bad, right? And like it's it's not like this this couldn't have been a secret. And I, I'm disappointed that the adults in the room didn't do more. I expect more of my university than to let players take a beating for a year. Because here's a question I also just kind of want listeners to think about. If Mark Adams makes the NCAA tournament, do we hear about any of this? Is he pushed out the door? Let's be clear Absolutely here. not. Absolutely not. The they created no. a context to fire him for cause. Let's be 100% clear here. What they fired him for was chicken shit. They fired him for making a dumbass comment and what appears to be the least bad thing he did. So they pushed him out the door because we lost. Would that have happened? Just think about that. Would Kirby Hokut have had the stones to fire a back-to-back NCAA tournament coach? I don't think so. That's that's my take. Decide for yourselves. Well, here's um, the thing. Here's the thing. Also, is that you can argue that none of this would have been brought to light if Kirby would have done something when the boosters called him, right? Like the the only reason the boosters are saying anything, putting this shit on message boards, is because they already went to Kirby and he didn't do anything. He sat on his hands. So they wouldn't tell the general public if they weren't, you know. If Kirby didn't thumb his nose up at them when they made their first, you know, uh, I guess you could say their first, you know, they're bringing it to him. They're bringing it to him first. He's not doing anything, so they're going to go to the public, hoping the public will force Kirby's hand. Yeah, and that's that's the thing, because like when this started, I thought boosters were just getting upset over lack of access. And that that's a, that was my concern. I already thought we had problems if that's what's surfacing. And this is one of the reasons I want you all to think about, like, what actually allowed this culture to form? 
because you know is this all on and Chris Beard didn't have the same legal troubles he had at Texas Tech and there's no reason to believe it ever would have happened here I'm not trying to suggest that but we all know some of the late rumors around Chris Beard was he basically became a tyrant because Tech just started writing blank checks and you know let's also be a little clearer the teams weren't very good after 2019 they were okay but they weren't great and there were some issues. So I, I have to know, are we starting to see, were we starting to see what was happening? Is the influence that some of these guys having on the program, or are we having some of the problems that Texas has, right? Like that, that I, I'm not saying we do or don't. I don't know. I'm not in those boardroom and backroom meetings to see how deep this stuff actually goes. But it, it's a little problematic that a really winning guy became basically a monster in a year. And the power does corrupt. So you got to wonder what what all happened that allowed this what because Mark Adams doing this right and his staff doing this is unacceptable the underlying culture in the athletic program where this is now the fourth or fifth head coach we've had to get rid of like we talked about this when the story broke and now we we find out it was so much worse than even they're telling us you know like it was so much worse than they were telling us like he was throwing shit I think it's worse than it is that it's been reported to be completely honest I think it's still worse than what's been reported yeah, and I'm going to go to you next with this next point, Joe, because I want you to close out this discussion because I do want to get to actual tech sports. And we parped on some of these things when the firing happened. The The podcast brings it back to light, and it concerns me deeply because if one player reports it and then others are willing to come forward publicly and say it, it was really bad because they don't do that lightly. But uh, my last thought before I go to Joe here to close out our discussion, and it comes back to a question I asked the adults in the room, by the way, include the guys who have access to the program who said nothing. And I, I, I'm not going to call out any individual by name. Um, I'm not even going to restate any media institution. But, you know, there are some guys who have access to these programs, who talk to these players every day, who fucking knew something was wrong and did not report it at all. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Decide for yourself if I'm full of shit on that front. But this has been a concern of mine since it turned out that the USA Today stumbled backwards into a story about a massive problem in the women's basketball program that nobody who has actual access to that program saw and reported about. So that, that's all I'm going to say on that. That's just my, you know, I don't want to wait. You, I said I wasn't going to bias the listener, but that's all I'm going to say on that front. Decide for yourself some of these issues. But Joe, I'm going to let you get the last thought here, which is to talk about now the future. Grant McCaslin does not really have a staff. He's got some new recruits coming in, some some guys out of Nevada, and some other places that are really good basketball players who should fit nicely into what he's going to do. So what does he have to do to right the ship? What, what What's his priority? How can he start to fix what's going wrong behind the scenes to set the foundation for success going forward? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Man, that's a that's a loaded question, you know, because you know he has his hands full. You know, he was brought in, and it was a it was a shit storm when he took over, and then now all of these 
these more reports are coming out on how everything was within our program. Now he's taking on a shit storm and a shit sandwich, you know, collectively got three guys on staff with him, two guys from North Texas where he was at. And then I believe the strength and conditioning coach also came with um, as well. But man, it's actually really, really difficult to think of where he's going to just try and put all his chips in first, because, you know, there's three guys doing a seven man job right now. Where do you actually want to put all your chips in right now? I think it's building a roster. This is where you're, where you need to be right now. If you're Grant McCaslin, yes, as a lot of people may, you know, fight me on this, that we need a coaching staff before we meet, we need a roster. Well, guess what guys in T minus, I don't know, 18 days, it's going to be May 11th. And that transfer window is going to close. And then we're going to have to sit and wait again before we can start getting guys here. And that, and by last count, I think we only have, what, seven scholarship guys left, if I'm not mistaken, that are still here. Um, I mean, we, we, need, we need players. We need guys here. So number one is to get players here, um, get some more commits here, you know, finalize that roster. Then move on to the coaching staff. Go ahead and fill that coaching staff out how you see fit. Grant McCaslin right now needs to be Grant McCaslin. As much as we want him to be some savior to this basketball program, as much as we want him to just go ahead and do all of this with our basketball program moving forward, we just need him to be him right now. We don't need him to be anybody else but himself. And that and that's, you know, that's a tough that's a tough deal for a lot of people to swallow because, you know, a lot of people are giving him shit for not having a coaching staff. A lot of people are were giving him shit up until the early part of the week whenever we were getting these recruits in um, to the, from the transfer to actually sign with Texas Tech. I mean, he just because it's been slow played. This is all this is all something that he's doing, I believe, methodically. I think he knows exactly what he's doing. I've, I and I'm a firm believer. I know he has the next the next two steps planned other than what we kind of already have seen the writing on the wall with the two transfers that signed. So. I'm just going to give McCaslin a pass as far as, you know, I'm not going to be like, oh, shit, shit sandwich. And it's turning into a bigger one because he doesn't have all of these things going right now. So I'm just going to take it for, for what it is right now. But if it's me, if I'm guessing where the program's heading, it's players to fill out our current roster, coaching staff, and then rebuilding our culture from the inside out. That's within our basketball program. That's within our student body. That's within our university. Because it's like you said, I mean, people were crying wolf all, all across the board, you know, trying to get somebody to hear him out and nobody wanted to listen. And this is what kind of became of that. So this is the the phases I believe that McCaslin's going to do moving forward as far as it's closing out the rest of the transfer portal window as far as it goes to moving forward towards the start of the season. Because last time I checked, this year's gone by a snap. It's In a couple of days, it's going to be May. And then, boom, another blink of the eye, it's June. Boom, another blink of the eye, it's July. And boom, these guys are having to start practice for the upcoming season. So it's going to come fast and furious. Obviously, like I said, a lot of people are upset that not a whole lot of movement has been technically happening as far as, you know, multiple players or multiple coaches, you know, this, that, and the other. But I believe that McCaslin's going to write this ship. 
you know, whether that's true or not, I mean, he seems as genuine as they come. He seems like he knows what he needs to do. And plus him and the three guys are doing a seven-man job right now out there recruiting in-house visits, trying to secure the guys that are still kind of here, you know, kind of tossed up in the air, whether they're going to stay or go. I mean, he's they've been working their asses off. So I think it's going to be okay. I feel in my heart it's going to be okay, whether that's to be seen just yet. You know, obviously we're going to have to just wait. But to in order for us to get back started, that whole culture thing is going to be addressed and it's going to be addressed inside and work its way on out from just say the Womble, the United um, Spirit Arena or Supermarkets Arena and outwards. So that's going to be home base and everything is just going to spread through the university, through the city and then through the state. So. Um, a lot of work to be done, a lot of work left on the table for McCaslin and his crew to do. But like I said, I I'm 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 okay. I'm I'm leaving it up to him. I'm have faith. We brought him in here for a reason. He was a candidate the last go around too before they even hired Mark. A lot of people tend to forget that. I mean, he was on our radar for a while now, so he does have something special. He wins where he goes. Everybody kind of knows his resume. So let's give him a break. This is his, I know we want to just say, hey, we want it now, you know, right now, right now. But give him a break. Let him work. Let him work. See what he puts out there. And then there'll be other times to criticize. But just let the man work as it goes right now. Yeah, we've talked about another pod, which is what I call the expectations game, which is when do coaches have to win? And, you know, obviously in the modern basketball era, things are sped up. You know, I, I love tech basketball. Really, it was, I remember I was at um, a game against, I think it was High Point University, where tech wins by like a bucket late. It was, I believe, Tubby's last year, and there were like 15 people in the stands, right? And by year's end, obviously, that that year, all kinds of great games, upsets, they make the tournament, the ship starts to turn. It's been one of the pleasures of, you know, being a Tech fan to watch that turn. And I think the regression of it all scares Tech fans rightfully so, because we waited so long to get from because after Bobby Knight, it's not like Tech was like kind of okay, but they were fucking awful at basketball. Just, just it was an abject horror until Tubby started to write it, and then Chris Beard continues it, and then Mark Adams makes the Sweet Sixteen, and we're we're still seeing roses and blah blah blah, and and then suddenly it just craters. Um, so you know, there's this huge pressure on Grant McCaslin to get it together fast, and and win in year one. Let's do pull Jerome Tang, for instance. Um, is that reasonable? Probably not, because again, I think the program's in much worse shape than anybody thought, and it takes time to fix that. And honest to God, it's impressive. This was something Kendall, who's not with us tonight, said in our Slack chat when we were talking about the Elijah Fisher. It's it's incredible that with half a staff and all of this happening, that any of these kids are electing to return to Tech, right? Like he he is selling them on himself in a in a high way in a high level. I don't know what's going on with Jalen Tyson. Uh, I saw Williams entered the portal. I don't know what's going to happen to these guys. I don't know who ultimately would choose to play here. But, you know, I, I, I tweeted this once, and I want to reiterate with McCaslin, maybe this first year sucks, but there's absolutely no point in being mad about a guy who has not coached a single game yet. 
let's let him build a roster and play with it. And then if you don't like what you see in year one, okay, it's okay to be a little bit unhappy if the team's not good. If in year two it's still not good, then you can start to get noisy. But, like, we don't have a reason to be mad now. We're just all mad. Right? Like, I'm worried about the culture of the program. I'm worried about what's happening behind the scenes. Plenty of people don't want to see the regression. They want the program to get to back to where it can be. But, you know, I we, we have to give him a chance. And Tobias, during our interview, talked about this, that he felt confident, Tobias being an alum, being pretty plugged in. He felt confident Grant McCaslin could do it. He was really excited about that. And, you know, I'm not as high on the hire as others, but I haven't seen anything to tell me he can't do the job yet. He's brought in recruits. He sold some guys on returning who experienced apparently some real crappy stuff for a year. So we'll, we'll see where that program goes. I'm hopeful that in year one you can write the ship. Maybe you aren't fantastic in year one, but just fix the culture. Plug the leaks. Repair some damage. And start moving forward. That's what I think he can do in year one, and then we can go from beyond. Now, Joe, I'm going to hit you right back. We're going to switch to baseball now. I, I knew the basketball talk was going to go on for a while, because especially from my perspective, that crap pisses me off. I hate when our universities in the news for stuff like that. It's, it's just infuriating to me when we could avoid some of the bad press and don't for some reason. Um, but let's talk about the baseball program. Baseball is kind of in a weird spot. RPI is not ideal. Um, the Big 12 is unlikely to have a host this year. I think Kendall Rogers said maybe West Virginia has a shot at it, but really nobody does. Um, even a Big 12 champion, unlikely to host. Weak non-conference for Tech, not necessarily entirely their fault. Dropped a couple games that would have helped them out. Gonzaga's not quite as good as we thought. Uh, split Stanford, kind of a mixed bag. Lost a few you shouldn't have. But you're also, again, you are within striking distance of a Big 12 title. Yeah, you may not host a regional, but you can take a trophy. You got some help this weekend from Oklahoma. You did drop that game against Baylor, which looms pretty large in the Big 12 race because that was a must-sweep series. But, Joe, how are you feeling as this team basically enters the home stretch? Only a couple more weekend series to go. Only a few more Big 12 series to go. The race is going to come down to the margins you kind of got to sweep Kansas State, I feel like, to really feel like you can stay in this race. How are you feeling? What is your level of optimism that Tech is right there at the end to try and get this job done? Uh, my levels that are probably like at a six, seven, six and a half ish. Um, it's just lack of consistency. You know, you have an offense that's, you know, pretty much, you know, number one across the board in a lot of categories. Like we're putting up the runs. We're doing what we need to do most of the time when, you know, on the offensive side, but man, our pitching is just so inconsistent, man. It's, it's like some days we have the, the three, the three game stretch between it was um, Molina who had to that gym, the 12 K gym, then Zane Petty and then Tabor fast. I don't know which order it was. I think it was fast. Then it was Petty. But it was, you know, to start that. And you're like, now that optimism is, that level is like at an eight or a nine. You're just like, you know, we get those three going. We get we could get Girton out of the bullpen. We could get Beckle out of the bullpen. We could get Free out of the bullpen. You know, now things are looking up. And, you know, all of, all of a sudden, then we just get slapped with a little bit of, of reality. And we start missing our spots. Our pitching takes a hit. It's not as consistent. And it it's really it really sucks because this team has all the makings 
all the makings to make a run. I mean, it's we've seen it day in before. You know, we've seen them play with Stanford away. You know, we should have taken both games in Stanford. You know, it's just one of these deals as far as you try to think of what the issue is. Are you thinking it's youth? Are you thinking it's, you know, injuries that kind of set the team back? Are you thinking it's some kind of coaching? Like, where does that, where do you draw that line with this program and how it sits right now? Because I'm looking here at the Big 12 standings right now. And like I alluded to on the Sunday pod, Kansas and Baylor are pretty much, you know, mathematically eliminated from, you know, making a run at this Big 12 um, regular season title. But everything else is pretty much in the air. You know, you have West Virginia that's playing some some damn good ball, uh, five-game winning streak. Oklahoma State also has a five-game winning streak. But they're going to be kind of – everybody's chasing, you know, they've played 18 games, you know, in the conference right now. And they don't play another conference game until I believe it was May 14th. So a lot of teams are – you could make runs to go towards that regular season Big 12 championship. But – Man, from the inconsistency on on the hump for us and not being able to get that done all I wouldn't say all the time, but just, you know, more consistent than what they're actually putting out. My optimism is is still, you know, fairly low. I mean, I, I wanna look and be honest and say, hey, you know, we could we could run away with it. But there's just there's no clear favorite in the Big Twelve right now. Anybody could get hot. We saw Texas get hot earlier in the season. West Virginia is playing the best ball right now. We were playing some pretty good ball there for a while. Oklahoma went, you know, to Austin and swept them. You know, it's just about when you get these teams start getting hot. And the way it's stacking up right now, I think it's one of those teams. um, They're at the top. You know, West Virginia, Oklahoma State probably going to be between those two. But like I said, it's, it's open to anybody. You know, there's just so much going on in the Big 12 right now. West Virginia, probably the biggest shocker of the year. Um, Kansas State being better than they have been in quite a while, also probably a pretty big shocker. West Virginia, though, I think being, you know, you you mentioned it, it's kind of all up in the air, but they are, quote-unquote, the favorite to get this done at this stage. Um, I actually was reading an article earlier today where somebody talked about the gist of the article was just like, you know, just wait a weekend and everything will change. Right now, West Virginia is playing the best ball. You got Kansas State up next, and then you've got a break to get a little bit of revenge against Sam Houston State. Um, Abilene Christian is up next on the official schedule. I don't know if that's been added or if that's was already planned, but that's I'm looking at the official schedule now for May 9th. West Virginia, then you close with Kansas, the bottom feeder. Um, so you've got two upstarts. Is that a fair way to describe this? I think so. Programs this year in Kansas State and West Virginia, and then a, a down Kansas team who's been bad, you know, insert number of years. I don't remember the last time KU was actually a real player in the Big 12, but uh, that they're they're closer to Baylor than, you know, uh, anybody else. And they're just not very good. So that one you should expect to sweep. You didn't sweep Baylor. You got to sweep KU. Kansas State and West Virginia. That's six games that I think will more or less decide your Big 12 fate. So, Jack, let's talk about Kansas State. You're looking at the Batcats as they're kind of affectionately known by their faithful. 
having a good year, right in the thick of things, really good on the mound. How can Tech get past them? Who's got to step up? What are you expecting from this series? So, obviously, you know, we kind of touched on the pitching. Pitching's been a problem. Well, I don't want to say all pitching's been a problem, but the pitching as a whole has been a problem for years now, if we really want to be blunt about it. Um, but for this, uh, you're looking at a Kansas State team who has really shocked some people. You talked about um, you talked about West Virginia. Um, West Virginia is really has really shocked some people. Um, this is a Kansas State team that beat West Virginia in a series, uh, two games to one. Um, you're talking about a Kansas State team who, uh, you know, swept Kansas. Uh, you're talking about a Kansas State team who, uh, you know, they didn't they they lost two of three against Texas, uh, but they swept Oklahoma at home, you know, so they're kind of up and down. They're kind of all over the place. They also lost their first Big 12 series of the year at the bottom feeder Baylor. Um, So this is a Kansas State team that's kind of been all over the place. You really don't know what you're going to get. Also, you really don't know what you're going to get from this Kansas State team because their last three Big 12 series are against us, Texas Tech, they're at Oklahoma State, and then they're at home against TCU. Um, regardless of what those three teams, where they are in the standings as of today, they're those are three extremely good baseball clubs. Um, TCU has been. I I don't. I think they were. They have been a more Jekyll and Hyde team than Texas Tech was last season, which is absurd to think about. But I think. TCU is just all over the place. They're more all over the place than really anyone in the country, to be honest. Uh, you know, there are days where they'll come at you and they'll shut you down. They'll hold you to two hits and score 14 runs, but the next day you're going to score 18 and hold them to one hit. Um, they are literally all over the place. Um, so anyway, regardless of it, Kansas State has played really well, yes. But they have three of the best Big Twelve baseball clubs in their last three ga- in their last three Big Twelve series. They had a very front easy, or I guess a back heavy schedule is what you would call it. So I'm really interested to see how they play. Uh, not just against us uh, at home, but they also host TCU, and then they have to go on the road to Stillwater to play Oklahoma State. But um, I think that these are winnable games for tech. Uh, you're talking about a team that lost two to Texas. Um, yeah, they swept Oklahoma at home, but they also lost two to Baylor on the road. Um, they lost to air force. Uh, this is also a team that's lost to Wichita state at home. Uh, you know, they've lost to UC Irvine. Uh, so this is a team that you really don't know what you're going to get at times. There, there's been, um, you know, six game losing streaks for this team. You know, they lost at Lamar. They, they lost to Sam Houston State. They lost to Iowa. They lost against Nebraska. 
or I'm sorry, at, against Omaha, not even Nebraska, Omaha University. So um, this is a team that you, you really don't know what you're going to get. They've played well as of late, but um, this is also a tech team that you don't, I mean, you could argue you don't know what you're going to get. You know what you're going to get from Mason Molina on Friday. Um, you don't know what you're, I'm, Again, to be blunt, you don't know what you're going to get from Trendon Parish on Saturday. Um, lately, it's been Jacob Rogers on Sunday. Uh, you don't really know what you're going to get from him either. Uh, it's been more of a bullpen day. You're going to let Rogers throw three or four innings and then try and throw your bullpen after. But here's the thing. If you're so worried about getting those wins on Friday and Saturday, you're going to throw uh, you know, Beckel and Ryan Free on, on those two days, so who do you have after that? I mean, I'll again, I'll I'll be the bad guy in this podcast episode. You're gonna throw Andrew Devine. You know he's he's kind of reverted back to his 2022 or his you know his 2021 uh, self. You know he uh, you gonna. I mean, there's not really anyone else. Uh, I mean, if you really want to pull up some. Some stats. I mean, Gurton. I mean, Gurton's kind of been not himself this year, and he'll be the first one to admit it. Uh, you're gonna throw Tabor Fast. Tabor Fast has a five plus ERA. Um, Kyle Robinson almost has a six ERA. Josh Sanders, who's been one of your most reliable guys last year, has a seven plus ERA this year. I. But, I mean, you're also saying all this when you're starting Jacob Rogers, who has a 7-7 ERA. Um, A guy that you thought was going to be really big for you coming back, Derek Bridges, also has a 7-7 ERA in four appearances. Um, So uh, your your options are really limited. Uh, You're lucky enough to have Brandon Beckel and, you know, Ryan Free and... um, some other guys who've contributed like Ethan Coombs and uh, Brendan Lysick, who hasn't thrown in quite some time. So you just lean to think that he's kind of being, he's injured or he's hurt. Um, There are a lot of guys that, that have the, have the run, but it's the injuries and it's the inconsistency as Joe mentioned. Uh, from the pitching staff, and it's not just the injuries at the front load of the of the year. You know, you lost Jack Washburn to start the year. Uh, he never got to throw, which sucks. Um, you'll be lucky. I'll and I'll put this out there right now. You'll be lucky to ever see Jack Washburn throw in a Red Raider uniform because with the way Owen Washburn's innings have gone down, I don't know if he sticks around. To be honest. Um, so where does Jack Jack Washburn followed Owen to Tech? So if you lose Owen Washburn, you most likely lose Jack Washburn too. Um, you're then now you're starting a whole different conversation. But to to go ahead and round round out your, the answer to your question, Tech has to find some pitching. They have to find some guys in the bullpen to step up. Andrew Devine, n- namely number one, needs to step up. Um, we saw what he did in 2020. He was fantastic. We've seen shades of Andrew Devine being really, really, really good. 
We've also seen shades of Andrew Devine being really, really, really bad. So we need to find that good form for Andrew Devine. We also need to find someone else to come out of that bullpen. Uh, you know, Jace Lopez, Ethan Coombs has been great. Ethan Coombs has a sub-3 ERA in 12 appearances. God, can we please get Bo Blessy to get healthy? If Bo Blessy was healthy, a lot of these problems would go away. And, you know, Kyle Robinson has been great out of the bullpen. Hasn't really been great starting, but he's been pretty good out of the bullpen. Um, you know, what can we do to get Sanders back to his old self? Um, can Bridges get back to his old self after the injury? Like I said, all of this stuff kind of starts with the injuries. And it really sucks, but at the same time, this isn't a new occurrence. This isn't something that's just now happening. Injuries have been a problem for this tech pitching staff for years. And I mean years now. So it's not just a, oh, one season, man, we got a lot of guys hurt this year, maybe next year. Well, last year we had a lot of guys hurt. Oh, it's just another thing this year. You know, maybe next year will be good. Well, the last two years we've had some injuries. This year's just another year. That's not normal. It's not. It's not normal to have this many injuries on the pitching staff. And, you know, we've talked about it as a staff, you know, off uh, off the pod and, you know, uh, just between us, like through our Slack chats and stuff. But something has to change. And, you know, it's it's the same thing every year where this, this team gets to the postseason and the pitching staff turns in a pretty good postseason, like the regional last year. They pitched fantastic. Let's not take that away from anyone that was on that pitching staff last season. They were phenomenal. Our offense sucked ass, but they were phenomenal. The pitching staff was great. That They, they are what kept us in that regional. But the rest of the year, outside of Brandon Birdsell and Andrew Morris, and like... I and who sublet? I don't. I, I mean, it hasn't really been that phenomenal. Mason Molina was there. Um, he was pretty good, but uh, who else was good? Chase Hampton. He went to the draft too. So you're talking about a systemic issue, a systemic problem, and I think that yeah, it would be nice to get it fixed for this season. But I think it's a much larger issue then can be fixed in a single season, in a single span of 14 games, which is what Tech has left, 14 games. So can they do it? Can someone step up? Absolutely. That's that's ridiculous to say that someone can't step up. Andrew Devine can hit another gear. I've seen we've all seen him do it, as I mentioned. But it's not just gotta be Andrew Devine. It has to be Andrew Devine and Jace Lopez or you know, Ethan Coombs continuing to to play well. You know, um, who who else? Ryan Free has to continue being good. Uh, Kyle Robinson has to get better, but still remain to be good. Josh Sanders, come back down to earth. You know, Derek Bridges, get some innings. And yeah, it's just a whole thing. It's just, a, like I said, it just snowballs. So... That's my outlook on it, and that's what has to happen for Tech to be successful. They have to have some guys step up in this bullpen, and we're begging for it, and I think that there are guys out there that are poised to be able to do it. Um, 
Andrew Devine's been here since 2020, and he needs to be the leader. He needs to step up and say, guys, we got to step up. We can all do it, and let's go. Let's do this. Let's win some games. Let's. I think I firmly believe that if Tech can win seven out of the next nine games, that they can make a push for the conference championship. So can that? I think that magic number is about seven or eight, but I think that seven puts you firmly in the conversation to contest for a Big 12 regular season championship through all of this. So be watching for that seven number and be looking at that bullpen and be looking at that third day, that Sunday starter. I think there is a lot of options and I think there are a lot of positive options that can come from this bullpen, but these guys have to step up and make and take that extra step to hit that fifth or sixth gear to get there. So I said we're going to talk a little bit about spring football, and we will. We're going to keep it pretty brief. I don't want to drag this episode out too long past an hour. Um, I think that's kind of the sweet spot for us. We will go a little bit over. Um, Joe, we'll we'll go to you to kind of close this out here. Spring ball this year had less hype than last year. It just did. It wasn't a new staff. That, that's how this works. That isn't an indictment of the program in these stage. As a result, not as many people watched. The other thing is that the, the starting quarterback conversation is pretty limited. I think most people are f- fairly confident Tyler Shuck will be your quarterback. I would be stunned to see otherwise. I expect Baron Morton to play. Don't get me wrong. I think everybody does. But your starter will be Shuck. And, and that... You don't win as many games as a starter as he did to close out the year and then lose your job. That's just reality. Um, Morton is still the future, I think. If he can hang in there and get one more year down the line, I think it'll be his job after Shuck graduates. But let's talk about the big takeaway from this year's spring. Program seems to be heading in the right direction, Joe. A lot of positive momentum, a lot of preseason i've seen top 25 top 20 a lot of guys back a lot of a lot of excitement around where this program is going it feels like finally they're going to get back in the conversation of real relevant college football but what what's your big takeaway from the spring football session maybe the spring game what what what's your biggest thought about what you saw or read about or saw uh the social media team post about it the coaches talk about what what are you taking away from it well, it's just like you said. I believe the Shuck being the starter is just a no-brainer. I think that's going to happen. I know he had a, an interception there in the game as well. That was the tip pass and was taking a pick six. But, you know, that's just as vanilla of an offense that you're going to run and show for a spring game. You know, let's just call it for what it is. So I I think it's his job. We will see Barron. You know, that's just how it's going to be. We'll see him both play this year, but um, Shuck's going to be that guy. Um, I actually, there was a couple of things that kind of stood out to me um, when a lot of it was the youth on, on the defensive back um, field. Um, I saw Marion Horn, which is the redshirt freshman from Oklahoma, and he was shadowing Dre McCray the entire time Dre McCray was on the field. And Dre McCray, as everybody knows, was the the big time wide receiver we got, the the burner, the guy who could just open up the top of a defense, you know, that kind of guy. And granted, for what it's worth, you know, how the scheme was for a spring game, I don't believe he had a catch. 
and Marion was on him the entire time. That's a bit of a bright spot. Um, also, Brennan Jordan, I believe, uh, number 27. I think that's him. True freshman. And been hearing a lot, a lot of great things out of him and how he may actually vie for playing time this upcoming season. So, you know, that's just helping our, our defensive backfield that much more. That's coming back with, you know, some pretty pretty big guys back there. Um, our offensive line stacked as far as size-wise goes. A lot of a lot of snaps been there by a lot of those guys up front, and they're big, they're bulky, they move people. That's going to be another deal. But, man, what I'm really kind of excited to see, which I didn't get to see it all on Saturday because Hutch and um, – Bradford didn't play was that pass rush of, of our fully equipped pass rush with Linton on one side, Miles Cole on the other side, and then Bradford and Hutchinson there in the middle just to see what kind of push the, that front four is going to give, kind of open up our, our linebackers to make some plays. I know there's a whole lot of question marks there kind of with our, our linebackers, but I think with the experience and what we have, on that defensive front is just going to help those guys out more as far as it comes to, you know, in, in season. So there's, there's a lot of reason for optimism, obviously year two of the brand. We all see it everywhere. Social media, Joey McGuire is all about it. And it seems like these guys have truly bought in and that that's, you know, able to be seen after how last year ended, you know, um, going in four game winning streak, going into that bowl game or winning the bowl game to complete four, four straight, and then taking all that momentum into this year. So, as a tech fan, you have tons of reasons to be optimistic. I'm really looking forward to what we do with the second year under Joey McGuire. But I mean, I only see you know green pastures there. It looks like this team is poised to take the next step. And, you know, it's it's anybody's ball game. You know, I think they could get on a hot streak. I think they have all the makings to make a run for a Big 12 title. I'm not going to go as far as, you know, not saying what TCU did last year was a fluke or whatnot. They won the games. They got to the, they got to the title game. And I'm not saying that that's not possible for this team if you get on the right hot streak. But this team has the makings to make a lot of noise in the Big 12 and, you know, potentially take another step forward in um, Joey McGuire's second year here at Tech. Yeah, I think I think there is a sense that you can't replace Tyree Wilson. You can't, but you can go by committee and still get some really great results. Um, I know I expect you, you can't replace his ability, but I expect the sack totals not to dip as much as maybe you'd think. I think there's going to be a lot of push up front. You brought in a really hot transfer who dominated all spring, some of that maybe text tackles are a little suspect. I that's if I'm circling an area on this team that I'm worried about, it's the offensive tackle spot. I, I don't know how the protection is going to hold up. You know, we have a big, we still have red flags at that position, but I think you're going to see a lot of good defensive football played again. Uh, I think that you can take another step forward in the secondary. I think you can really can count on your pass rush. We'll hope the linebackers come along with it. And I I don't know if the team's going to be quite as good as we're all hoping, but the spring football buzz is your ceiling is higher than it's been in a while, and your floor is higher than it's been in a while. And I, I don't know if that's going to translate into a 10-win season. I'd love to see it, 
but I, I feel confident saying that for the first time in a long time, you leave your spring session thinking less about, ah, there's, you know, just excitement for excitement's sake about the program because there's a change or, you know, it has to get better or it's a make or break year for a staff. And you're actually excited because you think the product in the field is going to be as good as anybody else's in the Big 12. And that's that's it. It has been literally years since that's been the case. Where you're thinking, uh, I'm excited about tech football, not because we've got a new staff or we may be firing somebody this year, or uh, you know, we're just excited because we love football. We're excited because you you have an eight to ten win team that could win even more than that with some breaks going their way health wise. You know, you are at least on paper and what we know. Knock on every piece of available wood. You are good at football, and I I hope hope when we circle up after the real show starts in the fall that we're still feeling as good after game one and then the date with Oregon, which will be a big tell for that program. Um, football will go back into hibernation. Baseball full steam ahead. Stay tuned for more shows from us on the baseball front, more content on Viva the Matadors on the writing front. Uh, just as a reminder, everybody, with regards to baseball, you don't have to host a regional to have postseason success, and you can't fix RPI being broken. So don't panic if if the RPI just just doesn't work itself out. It is worrying. You know, Tech is so much better in Lubbock, but you know, just if you win the Big Twelve championship and you don't host, that would suck. But at least you won the Big Twelve title. So you know, take take victories where they are and get ready for the postseason. Like Jack said, expect the magic number to float around that seven mark if you want the crown. Eight, you'd feel really, really good about it. Win them all, and you're probably almost guaranteed a seat at the table. So three Big 12 series remain. West Virginia, Kansas State at first, then West Virginia, then you close with Kansas. That's going to be a really important stretch for Tech. you played a lot of good baseball teams so far. You're playing a lot of good baseball teams down the stretch. Big 12 is really balanced this year. We will be back later this week. We're going to have some new concepts, some other shows. You'll hear from some of our guys. Hopefully we can get Reed and Kendall on a show this week. Thank you all for listening. Um, Please let us know. Comments, DMs, emails. I don't think our email is listed anywhere, but if you find it somewhere, email us. You can also DM Viva the Matadors if you want to talk to us. You can tweet at any of us individually. Just let us know what you want to hear about, what your thoughts are. We talked about a lot of stuff this episode that may upset you. Let us know. You can even comment on the View the Matadors website if you'd like. We read them. Uh, as always, like, subscribe, follow, download, whatever it is you do for whatever major podcasting service you listen to. You'll find us. Give a look at the rest of the Fans First Sports Network. There's a lot of great episodes in the pro ranks. A lot of them. So if you're a fan of any number of professional teams or you just want to listen to some other college podcasts, follow our network sponsors. They're doing really good work on a lot of different areas. Some really cool interviews have been posted. The MLB guys are in full swing. So if you want to listen to your favorite MLB podcast, I'm willing to bet that there's one on Fans First you'll really love. So thank you guys. Wreck them. Enjoy the rest of your week. You'll hear from us again very soon.